mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Okay, so we are in a very, very, very cold studio. And we did a piece today, didn't we, about air conditioning? Uh, and I'm not sure. I'm not sure we're helping, are we? No. By being this cold, it's, it's really freezing cold. Yeah. Uh, shall we get the complaint out of the way oh, first? Oh yes. Well, let's do it. Yeah. 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 Uh, because oh, where is it? Where is it? It started. It had one of those brilliant beginnings. Shame on you, Jane. Shame Garvey. on you, Jane Garvey. Shame on you. Here it goes. Fiona from Ho. Shame on you, Jane Garvey, turning your nose up at delivery at eight a.m. That poor person may have just come off a long shift at an NHS hospital or factory, or been cleaning offices all night and hadn't had the time to shop. It could even have been a bag of shopping. Lots of love, Fiona from Hove. As we said, a Mac breakfast is gorgeous. Um, I only pass judgment when I see it's definitely a McDonald's. And yes, of course you're right that they could have been doing a long shift and uh, just got back from doing a job that um, we desperately need people to do well. So I take it back. But in my defence, I did say yesterday that's the side of myself I don't like, but I can't help passing judgment. And there's another one on that, on that very subject from Beth. Um, I felt I had to send a quick defence of the morning delivery, uh, lest there be folk on my street who see the once or twice a month, mostly, morning food delivery to my door and assume I am, as my dad termed it when we were teenagers, lazing around in my bed. I'm 30. 14 years ago, though, I had a rather nasty cancer, even by cancer standards, but I survived. Unfortunately, the treatment left me with fatigue and my own personal superpower getting infections, necessitating a fair few operations down the years, last count 15, the consequence of which is that I'm alive, and I'm not knocking that for a second, but I do have severe chronic pain in addition to that fatigue. So, for the last six years, I haven't been able to study or work, but with the help of family, I am living independently, able to have a life of my own to some extent, but it's not easy. Um, and my insistence on ad radical acts like leaving my flat to take part in life or, say, doing the occasional basic chore means there can be quite a lot of crashing. So I do get morning delivery orders. Nothing to do with laziness or alcohol the night before. Um, I appreciate Jane owning that she knew her judgment was unfair, but for the benefit of other listeners who may not understand the unseen aspects of these things, I thought it was worth emailing. Beth, it's always worth emailing, and you're absolutely right. And I'm sorry you've had such a tough time. And honestly, I hope you um, I hope you just 
find a, a way of dealing with it all because sounds like you've got a lot on your plate there and well done for establishing an independent life it sounds like you've done brilliantly uh, absolutely now this one comes from kate who had started off uh, what's turned out to be just a really interesting conversation uh, about people who've done things after the age of 45 and we did ask kate to get back in touch and she has many thanks for reading my email about the potential for making it over 45 you asked me to let you know what i'd like to do by this age well a week after my 40th birthday my lovely husband and i were given an infertility diagnosis and this triggered me to want to do something to make more of a contribution to society. This will be very boring to most, but I'd like to join the graduate scheme of the Houses of Parliament to support the work that goes on there. The training scheme is very competitive. It can take several attempts to get on, and most of my competitors will be in their 20s. The thought of only having five years to make this work and be unlikely to progress after the age of 45 makes me a bit sad. I don't like hollow affirmations of positivity, but I hope that I'll be seen to still have potential beyond my mid-40s. Well, we very much hope so too, mm. actually, Kate. And Jane wasn't saying that, you know, people can't make it after the age of 45. Uh, we were just genuinely interested to hear more stories of people who have. Can I say that I think that's just such a wonderful thing to do after being given uh, what I assume is some really sad news in your life. So to immediately then be able to turn it into you know, pushing your life into a different direction. Yeah. Uh, I think we will allow ourselves a moment of positivity there, Kate. It and does sound, uh, like, by the way, I think it's a really interesting thing to do. Yeah, it sounds, uh, it sounds fantastic. And keep us posted. And especially uh, as you go through the process, if there is any whiff of people not being as interested in you because you are in your 40s, as opposed to in your 20s? Because I would have thought, I mean, there just are so many jobs where a bit of wisdom and experience and just having, you know, seen the vicissitudes and vagaries of life uh, has to be to your advantage. And I would have thought uh, in the Houses of Parliament that that would be so. So I hope that that's true. You associate the Houses of Parliament with wisdom? No, I just would... I would hope, Jane. Well, we would hope. We yeah. would hope. I would hope it's a place um, where age is valued. I really do hope that, Jane. Just this time last week, we were in that porter cabinet latitude. Gosh, it seems like a lifetime ago. I think I picked up a virus when I was there. Do you think you did? Because you have been a little under the weather. I've just been a bit peaky all week, and I think it was festivals. What can I say? Just did, going. Well, yeah. yeah. But you were full of praise for the toilet facilities there. <laughs> Well, I think next time you've just got to insist on bringing your own. <laughs> I'll have it towed down. I think so. um, Caroline uh, is a bit vexed because she's four weeks behind in listening to the podcast. Caroline, put more effort in. <laughs> just, you know, for heaven's sake, you don't need to work or look after your house. Or you can just listen to us and then you can catch up. Um, she wants to write about Rob Rinder. Now, I don't remember us talking about Rob Rinder. but It was I'm... the week you were away. Oh, was it? OK, right, there you go. That'll explain it. Anyway, she writes in praise of him. He was the guest speaker at the end of the year 11 pupil and parent tea at my children's school some years ago, and he was marvellous. The event took place when year 11 were finishing, just prior to the kids actually doing their GCSEs. And he got up and said something along the lines of, these GCSEs absolutely do not matter. What matters is doing something you love. 
Now, as a pushy middle-class parent, I didn't entirely approve of that message, but it was wonderfully refreshing for the kids after two years of hearing how desperately important GCSEs were for the future and all the stress that entails to hear something so completely different and very inspiring. We all still think of his speech very fondly. Caroline says forlornly, I do hope to eventually catch up. Well, just take a couple of weeks off all your other responsibilities and get to the up-to-date podcast, Caroline. Come on. So Rob Rinder is one of those people uh, who, whatever he turns his attention to, he does seem to excel at. Uh, So dare I say it might be easy for him to say, don't worry about exams and all of that, uh, because he's just done incredibly well. You know, he's a, a barrister and turned that into being a TV sensation, has turned that best-selling into being novelist. best-selling novelist. Okay, yeah. uh, so, but he was a really nice guy. He was extraordinary, actually. We asked him, it was when Louise Minchin was doing the programme. Uh, they know each other, actually. We asked him one question and 25 minutes later, we said, thank you very much, Rob, Rinder, goodbye. It's my sort of interview, that. Yeah. Uh, it never fails to make me laugh, so I apologise uh, if this is just a repetition of an old anecdote, but the only person that we had come to talk to us at our school, and that's not me being rude about the school, that kind of people passing through and giving energising career lectures just wasn't a thing in the 1980s. We, the only visitor we had, this was an all-girls school, we had a rear admiral from the Navy. <laughs> We did. And as far as I know, nobody signed up to the Navy afterwards. But I suppose I'm chortling because uh, is if there's a rear admiral, is there a front admiral? Oh, now you're being silly. <laughs> but seriously, what does being a rear admiral mean? Uh, isn't that... I'm, I'm chancing my... I don't think... I'm going to guess. Yeah. Is it to do with when they were issuing commands, they would stand at the rear of the vessel? Could it be that? Okay, but then wouldn't or the it, rear of the fleet? But then wouldn't they be called an aft admiral because it's uh, forward and aft, isn't it? Okay, if you've been in the navy, know someone who've been in the, who's been in the navy, or just live by the sea, and you know the answer to that, or you've been in uh, village oh, people, maybe yeah. you were at a school where a front admiral came to talk to you. I'm just moving on to Iris, who says lentils. Oh, I'm not, I don't want thank you, Iris, but I don't want lentils again. I can recommend. El Navarico Spanish Lentejas. Lentejas. They are a different quality to the normal dried ones. God knows what they served in our canteen yesterday, but I don't think they were from Ocado. Let's put it that way. Um, I, You know, after the other week, we tasted some queen chickpeas. Yes. Yeah. I've sent off for some and they arrived the other day, but I now look like a mad prepper because in my store cupboard, I've got but you are a mad prepper. I've got six huge Because if you go down to chickpeas. Jane Garvey's basement, oh, there's, there's a ones. really spooky cardboard cutout of Julian Warwicker and Peter Allen and then just stacks and stacks and stacks of toilet roll and capers. I do appreciate your good English and diction, continues Iris. Could your I just... good English and diction? <laughs> I, yes, sorry. Take I, that one again. I do. I, it's not been my day, this. I do appreciate your good English and diction. Could I just mention one thing, though? With two children, it is usual to refer to younger and elder, not youngest and eldest. Yeah, so I think that one was... That's right, Iris, I'm sorry. me as well. So I'm oh, sorry no, I'm, it's probably me too, so I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I often just wish I'd had more children, so I'm probably just trying to pretend that I do. I'd like seven. <laughs> you would. <laughs> I can honestly say I would not have liked seven kids. 
Oh, and Carol Kirkwood was one of seven kids, wasn't she? Was she? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Did she tell us that yesterday? It probably didn't come out in my incisive interview, but, <laughs> but I think I read it on Wikipedia. Gosh, it's rare to be one of seven, isn't it? Um, I would think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah I know so. Mm. Uh, shall we talk about Ferdinand Mount? You talk about Ferdinand Mount. Mount. So Ferdinand Mount was our guest today. I, do you know what? I, I really hope that you get better. <laughs> well, you've been hoping that for a few years. It hasn't happened, has it? <laughs> Ferdinand Mount came in. He was our guest today because he's written a book all about Caesars. Uh, and his theory is that the original Caesar created such an extraordinary template for leadership that over the centuries, men have just chosen to ape it. And his argument is that it doesn't matter how liberal a democracy is or how intelligent the voters believe themselves to be, there is something in the strong man of Caesar that draws people in and it has the same kind of end, which isn't necessarily a good one. Mm. Uh, his book is really fascinating, actually, and one of the many things that we talked about in this interview is the fact that, um, you know, this strong man thing really is largely men. You know, women, through all of the advances of equality, haven't actually had that kind of a figure to ape. Uh, so we do get on to talking about that in case you're thinking, oh, my goodness, this is a man soup. I can't cope. So I began by asking him if we have so many Caesars across history because there are simply so many of them living amongst us. Um, the world is full of Caesars uh, and would-be Caesars, and it's a great surprise to us because we were taught that um, uh, 30 years ago by Francis Fukuyama and others that we were going to have a nice, quiet time with lots of lovely liberal democracies and no trouble at all. And now, wherever you look, the strong men either uh, just getting into power or just being chucked out or waiting to get back in like Donald Trump, they're all over the place. So it's, 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 it's a great surprise. What does it say about our yearnings for a liberal democracy that we allow it to be constantly contaminated with something that is completely opposite to those ideals? Well, it is, um, it is very uh, extraordinary. We, we, we like certainty. Uh, or some of us, we like, we like the, uh, the the strong man who says, "I've got all the answers." And we, what we uh, get fed up with, is parliaments and democracies which argue and debate and change their minds and uh, come back and repeal the acts of the last government and and all that. And we think, well, let's have something nice and simple and firm, which will and which will show. Um, the um, other countries, what we're made of. And it is a recurring temptation from ancient Rome onwards. It's extraordinary when you put into context the similar themes of the strong man throughout history because they are so... They're such blunt weapons, aren't they? They're basically, don't let any foreigners in. If you do, your demise will be the foreigner's fault and I can promise you a better tomorrow but I'm not entirely sure how I'm going to explain the detail to you. And that's basically it. That's basically it. It's very, very simple. Scratch your head and ask what President Xi or Putin or Erdogan or any of these fellows uh, want. It is a very simple, get the foreigners out and don't let anyone in, in, interfere with us. And I'll tell you uh, the story. And the, the thing that you really find so remarkable throughout, from Julius Caesar onwards, is 
they make it up. They tell untruths and then they tell more untruths. Julius Caesar, you know, we were all taught at school that his commentaries on the Gallic Wars when he defeated Gaul were models of simplicity, accuracy and truth. And actually, a chap who was with him when he crossed the Rubicon said, no, no, not a bit of it, Asinius Pollio said, no, they were all made up with very little regard for fact and a huge exaggeration. Uh, sometimes you read on one page that a tribe was wiped out and then five pages later, tribe is wiped out again. It's a lot of it is made up. And... Um, uh, but it fooled people for 2,000 years. Some of our modern Caesars don't have such a long uh, lifespan, their lies. For example, Donald Trump, um, um, it's true that half the Republican Party, perhaps more, still believes that he won the 2020 election. But I don't think anyone else outside that um, uh, their ranks does. But the extraordinary thing about Trump is that he's been up to this game for years because when um, Barack Obama was re-elected in 2012, Trump tweeted, um, we can't let this happen, we need a revolution in this country and we must march on the White House, we must stop this happening. Obama lost by a mile. Exactly the same lies that he was going to tell eight years later. Uh, but he suddenly, swiftly saw that wasn't going to wash, so he deleted the tweets, but however, a record was kept. So they keep on lying. And um, when um, uh, Boris Johnson is thrown out, finally, what is, brings about his final disgrace, it is that the Privileges Committee of the House of Commons said he repeatedly told a string of untruths about Partygate. And um, that, of course, we know is a, he's got a record of uh, mendacity as long as your arm. Uh, but that was the final, um, the final blow to him. Mm. And I think it's, Fee, it's very interesting, that word privileges, because it sounds a sort of, you know, toffee-nosed sort of word, that um, um, uh, unjustifiable uh, uh, privileges. But... It has a deep resonance. And when Charles I, 400 years ago, tried to arrest the five members and he went down the Strand to try and catch them up, the crowds in London shouted, privileges of Parliament, which is quite a mouthful to shout. But um, they felt then, um, as we feel now, that if Parliament is to work, it's, if it's to be an independent debating chamber, then it has to have these privileges, which it mustn't abuse, but it must have them. And so the same, the same contest go, goes on, recurs at intervals over the centuries. Can we talk about one of those assaults on Parliament? Because you start the book uh, with Cromwell. One of the many things that I learned uh, from your book was that Cromwell was pretty much diagnosed as a manic depressive, wasn't he? And and actually, that is quite a common theme in Little Caesars and Big Caesars, a really pretty obvious mental illness. Yes, um, the, uh, it's um, very remarkable that we something that happened so long ago, persons who lived so long ago, that we have two um, uh, medical reports on his mental condition um, when he was a young man. Uh, both of them, them saying he was an extremely odd person and suffering these 
terrible swings from total depression to delusions of grandeur that he was going to save the country. So he was a very rum cove. But it's even rummer, if you think about it, that if you go to the House of Commons, cross the road in Parliament Square, and there in front of you is the statue of Oliver Cromwell, um, looking warts and all, looking like a nightclub bouncer. And um, you think, what the hell's he doing there? Because the one thing that we all learnt at school is that Cromwell charged into Parliament, smashed it up, said, you're no Parliament, get out, took, took the mace, chucked out the speaker and um, broke the place up. And that wasn't the only time he did it. He did it five more times. Whenever the voters returned a majority that he didn't like, he went down to Whitehall and smashed the place up. Yet there he is in pride of place. And I think it's very significant. Why is that happened? Because in the 19th century, Thomas Carlyle, the great historian, developed a, a, a passion for hero worship. He said what the nation needs is heroes, great men, You, this democracy, these ballots, these um, elections, that's all rubbish. What you need is a great man to tell you what to do. And Cromwell was the greatest man in English history. And he... and. Um, People swallowed it, and he became, from the villain of our history, he became the hero. Mm. But you could uh, make that charge against a lot of historians, don't you think? That there is a collusion in creating this heroic status in order to fuel many people's careers, be that commercial or academic? I think so. The um, uh, That's... Uh, Historians, um, Cromwell is a very good example, historians have consistently um, inflated his reputation and and down and, and sort of quietly pretended or uh, uh, minimised the massacres that he committed in Ireland um, and Scotland. Interestingly, when um, Lord Rosebery, who was very keen on hero worship, the Victorian Prime Minister, uh, when he tried to get the House of Commons to vote the money for a statue, um, uh, suddenly the Irish MPs said, well, we're, we're having none of that. He, he murdered our ancestors at Dryder and Wexford. And so he couldn't get it through. So in the end, uh, he, he had to pay for the statue himself. Or rather, as he was a fairly penniless Scottish lad, he got his um, rich wife to pay for the statue. So that's the history of this extraordinary statue, a very fine statue as it happens. Um, and you realise that there are always people trying to uh, re rewrite history, to invent new heroes, and um, we need to... Watch out for them. Yes, polish the same place is what's yeah. going on. Uh, I'm very glad that you mentioned a wife, Ferdinand, because where, where are the women? I mean, where are the women? Um, what struck me by the end of the book was just this overwhelming masculinity, obviously, that is associated with the strong man. I know that's an obvious thing to say. But also this incredible... I mean, it's almost a forgiveness of some pretty disastrous male traits throughout history. And within the feminist movement, it is often said that if you can't see it, you can't be it. But it struck me that one of the problems with the way that we've been governed and our political leaders 
is that because you can see something, lots of people think that they want to be it, but it's not a great thing to see. No, no, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And the, I have one woman in my selection. I mean, there are others. You couldn't, there's so many possible people to choose that you could go on forever. That the only woman I did choose was Indira Gandhi, um, whose emergency um, was an, uh, fascinating exercise because nobody thought they when they put her in power they thought oh she's just a uh, um, a, a silly girl we can com- we'll be able to manipulate her she was just because she was Nehru's daughter as she turned out to be made of steel and extremely tough and anyway she um, one day she just decided to abolish the constitution lock up a hundred thousand people and um uh, introduce uh, a censorship across the subcontinent. And then uh, it's, everyone gaped. Nobody, and all her admirers in England, um, like Michael Foote and Margaret Thatcher, who'd been at the same college at Oxford as Indira had, um, all said, oh, well, she must have her reasons. So they all made excuses for her. But it was just as bad as, as any other seizure of power. The only thing, extraordinary thing, was that she then, after a year, 18 months, she thought, well, I'd better have an election. So she had an election, which she lost thumpingly. Um, So that was the end of Indira for a bit. She got back again later. But the lesson of that, I'm afraid, is that uh, Indira Gandhi's opponents, the nationalists, thought, aha, the Indian people are quite ready for a touch of strong men or strong woman, woman womanship, um, and um, we can use that. And so Narendra Modi has learnt a lot from the Indira playbook, and it's remarkable that though they were on other opposite sides of the political divide, he doesn't criticise her because um, he learned how to do it mm. from her. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Our guest on the podcast today and on the program is Ferdinand Mount. And we were discussing the presence of women in his book, which is called Big Caesar and Little Caesar, and perhaps a notable absence of a strong leader sometimes fighting for survival might be the one and only Margaret Thatcher. No, I didn't. I mean, I worked for Margaret Thatcher and she was very bossy, as we all know, and, and could be very bullying and, and people who'd... She could, also, she could be very charming and kind. She could also be very vindictive. But why she doesn't qualify is because she didn't break the rules. She abided... And the same is true that Winston Churchill, who was a terrific bully... Um, but he didn't break the rules. They had a basic respect for the rules of parliamentary democracy. In the depths of World War I, Churchill said of the House of Commons, this little place is the heart of all our destinies. You might not like Thatcher, you might not like Churchill, but what you couldn't say is that they um, broke up the system. They basically respected the constitutional settlements that they'd inherited. And so that, I think, is is the big difference. Another thing people say, well, you say that the Caesars all tell lies. Don't democratic politicians tell lies? Um, Anthony Eden told a lie at Suez. Uh, many people think Tony Blair told a, an untruth, at the least, about weapons of mass destruction. Where does the simple act of lying place somebody in terms of how we should respect them? Do we just accept that the nature of politics is that sometimes you will lie. Very few politicians escape having lied at least once during their careers. But the difference, I think, is that if the system is working properly, the Prime Minister is held to account, as um, Anthony Eden was held to account for the lies at Suez, as Tony Blair was held to account by the Chilcot Inquiry. Um, that is what parliamentary democracy is all about. And that's why it's so important that um, prime ministers should answer to parliament. I thought it was a bad sign when um, Boris set up a, a, a smart lectern at a conference centre just next door to number 10 so that he could address the, na address the nation directly. Well, you may say all very democratic and so on, but the disadvantage of that is that nobody is answering back. Uh, nobody is questioning him um, as, um, well, we're sitting in this studio now and there you see Rishi Sunak being questioned by Keir Starmer at Prime Minister's Questions every week. That is uh, telling an untruth to the House of Commons is the most serious offence that um, uh, there can be because it undermines the whole basis and um, of, of democratic trust and, uh, and argument. So uh, that is very much at the, at the heart of it all. People who say, for example, of Partygate, oh, who cares if they had a couple of drinks, um, 
uh, at the end of the working day. That is not the point. It, the, the, the point is that you have to tell uh, the truth to Parliament as best you can. Mm. Um, and that's what he didn't do. So if we look around the world now, and uh, you did a very succinct list of the strongmen who are available to us at the moment. So you have Putin, you have Trump, you've had Bolsonaro, you've got Erdogan. Uh, you know, it is quite a substantial list. Uh, you say that your book isn't a pessimistic one. It's a hymn to vigilance. In a time when we as citizens have more access to information than at any other time in history, isn't the more vigilance being shown? I think there is. Um, and some of some of our recent Caesars have been thrown out. They've been thrown out by the voters in the case of Bolsonaro and, and Donald Trump. They've been thrown out by Parliament in the case of Boris Johnson. There is always a possibility of um, disposing of them. But that doesn't mean they, they, they leave a lot of damage behind. Yes, and that's the interesting thing, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's just this template of the kind of politician that we still believe will bring us all good things. It is just such a stamp throughout history. So do you think in 40, 50 years' time, this conversation won't make as much sense to our children and grandchildren because the template might have changed? I'm afraid that we might well be having exactly this conversation in 50 years' time. I think uh, the same threat will come again and we shall have to meet it again as we have in the past. Does that depress you slightly? Well, in a way it depresses me, but in a way it sort of invigorates. It means that the the, the struggle struggle continues, as they used to say in the Spanish Civil War after a particularly bad defeat. we're not, we, we aren't going to get rid of little Caesars, certainly, and we hope we don't have to cope with big Caesars. They will be always on uh, the lookout for fresh opportunities, for periods of unrest where um, people feel lost or large parts of the population feel left behind or they feel um, oppressed by... Uh, the supposed threat of of large-scale immigration. These things will recur, so will the challenges. Ferdinand Mount and his book is out now. Uh, And if you're interested in that kind of, uh, you know, enormity of history, then I would highly recommend the book. It is really, it is a dense read, but there is so much in it. But it's got pictures, Jane. Oh, it's got pictures. It's got pictures. Oh, that's good. Oh, a picture. Um, it is. It is depressing that 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 final thought of his that we might be having exactly the same chat fifty years from now. Yeah, with... and no, very much so. And oh. do you know one of the things I found the most interesting about his thesis uh, is just these really kind of ball planks of policy that Caesars have, which is don't let an immigrant population in. If there is an immigrant population, blame things on them and strike out in an aggressive fashion across the world or to your neighbours because that's how you will be able to yeah. determine your own success. And it keeps working. And it keeps, it keeps working, yep. Well, more fool us. Yes, no, definitely. Yeah. It's on us. But, but actually his message is one of positivity that actually, you know, we need to stay vigilant and this might be our chance to kind of look around and learn. So it's not all doom and gloom at the end. But it is an interesting read.
If you're listening to this on Thursday, Caroline won't be, because she'll be listening to this at some point towards the end of August, possibly September, maybe even November, if she really doesn't get a wiggle on. Um, we should say that Friday is when the new Book Club podcast will drop, and it is, as promised, a discussion about Valerie Perrin's Freshwater for Flowers. Just about remembered it. I was going to call it something else. Freshwater for Flowers, that's it, isn't it? Yeah. It is. And we had loads and loads of different thoughts about it, uh, which we've hopefully managed to compile into a listenable form. And thank you if you've taken part in the book club. And what we're looking for next time around is another suggestion, a slightly kind of out of nowhere suggestion, we thought. You know, something that not everybody will have read or read lots of reviews yeah. of. Could be a writer that you have loved for ages and want other people to find out about. Um, it could be somebody you've never tried before but have always wanted to. Well, I mean, if he's right, we don't really want one that's going to be everywhere. We'd like yeah. to do something a bit different. We'd like to feel a bit special, just not we? Just a very tiny yeah. bit, yes. And we have mooted the point um, that it might be nice to delve into a bit of crime fiction. If you have one to recommend, you know what to do. Yeah, but we don't want any... Dead bodies of beautiful young women. No, we'll try and avoid the grizzly, if at all possible. Yeah. Tell you, the book I'm reading now is, yeah. um, it's called The San Sanctuary, or The Sanctuary by Andrew Hunter Murray. Have you heard of this? No. It's a sort of eco-thriller, and uh, I'm enjoying it. Yes, very good. Uh, that's by a man, but hey, you know. You a gay. Broad church and all that. Anyway, um, I think this could be the weekend the aliens arrive. And oh, if they do, I shan't be remotely surprised. No. Uh, so I might not see you on Monday, but if I do, uh, then... Uh, I don't know. <laughs> oh, that was brilliant. Right, have a good weekend. Oh, don't forget the Book Club po podcast Book club podcast tomorrow. Jane and Fee at Times Talk Radio. Oh, Thank you. We need listening. to regroup over the weekend, don't yeah. we? Our yes. apologies. We'll be better on Monday. Mm -hmm. Maybe. maybe. Bye. We're bringing the shutters down on another episode of the internationally acclaimed podcast Off Air with Jane Garvey and Fee Glover. Our Times Radio producer is Rosie Cutler and the podcast executive producer is Henry Tribe. But don't forget that you can get another two hours of us every Monday to Thursday afternoon here on Times Radio. We start at 3pm and you can listen for free on your smart speaker. Just shout Play Times Radio at it. Uh, you can also get us on DAB Radio in the car or on the Times Radio app whilst you're out and about being extremely busy. And you can follow all our tosh behind the mic and elsewhere on our Instagram account. Just go onto Insta and search for Jane and Fee and give us a follow. So in other words, we're everywhere, aren't we, Jane? Pretty much. Everywhere. Thank you for joining us. And we hope you can join us again on Offer very soon. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.